0: Good morning, Door Creek. For those of you who are guests, a warm welcome. Thanks for warming up this place with your presence. And um, it's good to be together. My name's Mark Myfair, one of the members on staff here, and it's my privilege to welcome you. We're talking about doubt today, and I, I wonder what you're doubting about. And I thought we'd have a little fun with it as we began. And so I put together a top ten things that we doubt. You ready? All right, number ten. Headlines from the National Enquirer. You know, you're going through the checkout and you check out to your left, you go, "I doubt that." Number nine: emails from another country promising you great wealth if you just give them the information of your own bank account. I doubt it. Number eight: the national coverage of my cell phone, my lands. It doesn't even work on the beltline in places. <laughs> Number seven: weep with me: the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, we're used to it, so don't worry about it. Uh, Number six, any recent stock tip. Kind of doubt those. Number five, lifetime warranties. You ever had one of those? Read the fine print, right? Number four, last year's Christmas tree lights. Boy, they just never work that second year, do they? Number three, that dad will ever ask for directions when he's lost. Number two. The Weatherman's prediction of a mild winter here in Wisconsin. And speaking of Wisconsin, the number one thing that we doubt, drum roll please, <laughs> the Brett Favre trade. You ready? There it is. Our the Bear fans feel really bad for you guys on that. Okay. So we've been going through this series called Questioning Christianity. A lot of tough questions that we've been engaging in a conversation over. And the question today is, how can I follow Christ if I still have doubts? It's a great question. And it begs the question, what are the things that you're wrestling with today? What kinds of things do we doubt? What, what are the categories? Is there a person in your life that you doubt? Maybe their character, their words, their motives. Uh, is there a sense where you could be doubting yourself and, and your abilities or in a big decision that you have to make her that you've made, wondering if you made the right one. Sometimes we doubt institutions or predictions or promises. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves just doubting truth claims and, and belief systems like Christianity and the claims of Christ. Well, what is doubt? You go look it up in the dictionary, you find there's a, there's a noun form of the word, a feeling of uncertainty. Or the verb, to feel uncertain, or to question the truth of someone or something. And who is it that doubts? Just to make it clear, you you might have this preconceived idea idea here that that it's just people who are investigating the claims of Christ that, that doubt the claims of Christ. And you know what? Actually, doubt is pretty universal. So thinking about this whole matter of the claims of Christ... It's interesting to to read a guy like Richard Dawkins, this pretty pretty confident atheist, who wrote the God Delusion. And in that book, he he writes something like this. He says, when it comes to uh, believing in God and not believing God, one is certitude and certainty that he does exist, and seven that he doesn't. I'd have to rate myself a six. And I quote, he says, "I cannot know for certain." So if we're honest, the the atheist has doubts, and then it's really important for you as you're considering the claims of Christ, or today would say, I'm a Christ follower, for you to hear me say that, that followers of Christ have doubts. There are times where this little nagging voice comes in, and, and, and it says, what if it's not true? What if the whole thing's like a ruse? and 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 i can have feelings like well what what's happening as i teach god's word is, is anything happening god are you doing anything we we can we can doubt all kinds of things when it comes to our faith and it's good for us to hear that this morning things like our prayers are they really going through the ceiling because sometimes it feels like they're not or the promises of God. He says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Boy, sometimes it feels like you have God. He said, I'll never get you, give you too much that you can, cannot handle. Feels like I've got too much on my plate. The psalmist says, weeping comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. We go, man, I've done a lot of mornings. There's still a lot of tears. There's a lot of heartache. Beauty out of ashes. I just feel like all that's left out of the ashes of this fire is just charred ruins. We doubt his promises. We doubt his character. Is he good? Has he really forgiven me? If so, why do I still struggle with guilt? Does he love me? Is he really in control of my life and everything in this world? Because my life right now seems completely out of control. Is he really committed to finishing the good work that he began? Because sometimes I think, boy, I got such a long way to go. Is this thing the church? Really the hope of the world? It's really fascinating to ask Kyle, our high school pastor. I said, Kyle, what do high school kids struggle with when it comes to doubt and faith? He says, the number one doubt of a high school student is, is it possible to meet someone who's an authentic Christ follower? The real deal. No compromise. No hypocrisy. No inconsistencies. Well, we kind of know the answer, don't we? No. But we wonder sometimes as we look around, and we struggle with life and the ups and downs about these very things. And so it's really important that we hear what McGrath says in his good book called Doubting. Doubt is a permanent feature of the Christian life. Maybe that's the most important thing you hear this morning. Doubt is a permanent feature of the Christian life. He says sometimes it's in the background, sometimes it's in the foreground, but it's always going to be there. You're going to be wrestling with it. And so the question is, well, where do this, these doubts come from? Why, why do we doubt? What, what are the different kinds of doubts? I hope this isn't too simplistic, but as I was chasing through the scriptures, I ran into three stories that I think gives us three types of doubts that help us understand where some of these doubts can come from. The first has to do with a story of Peter walking in the, in the water. And I'm going to call this, this is doubt that comes from overwhelming emotions, emotional doubt, Where you're in a hard circumstance, situation. And as you're dealing with that, your feelings take over. Your your mind, your, your rational thoughts. Man, they're so far eclipsed by these powerful, strong emotions that are winning the day. And ruling your mind and your heart. So let's look at the story of Peter. Matthew 14. The context is, the disciples have been sent to the other side of the lake. They're in their boat. They're crossing the, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, I'm going to catch up with you guys. Well, little did they know that the way Jesus was going to catch up with them was he's going to walk across the water that night. And so in the middle of the night, they see what looks like a ghost. They're terrified. When the ghost gets a little closer, G- Peter realizes it's Jesus. So we pick up the account. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So why did Peter doubt? Well, Jesus says, Peter, you doubted because you had little what? Little faith. Remember that movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? All of a sudden, it's, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I shrunk my faith. And Why did his faith grow small? Because at the beginning, his faith is big because he's walking on water. When did his faith begin to shrink? When he lost his focus, right? So, so he's focused on Christ, the water walker. This guy who says, come. And he's jumping out of the boat, just what we expect from Peter. He's jumping out of the boat, he's walking on the water, and then all of a sudden, he gets that gust of wind, and maybe a little splash in his face, he goes, Whoa, dog. And if you've ever been on one of those high ropes wires, and you're walking across, you don't want to look down. Because when you look down, your faith can begin to shrink. And so what happens is these emotions are tied to these difficult circumstances that surround us, and when we lose our focus... All of a sudden, we start to go down. He's gripped with fear. And he's going down the path of doubt and despair. His faith waning and his body literally sinking. He's drowning. So that's emotional doubt. Doubt that comes from these overwhelming feelings. There's a second kind of doubt. This has to do with the story of John the Baptist. I'm going to call this intellectual doubts. The deal isn't feelings. The deal is the facts. Either I don't have enough of them or I can't make sense of them or I just can't agree with them. And we're wrestling with these facts. And it doesn't compute for whatever reason. So we've got big doubts. It's, It's a cognitive, it's a thinking kind of a deal that brings these doubts. So read the story of John the Baptist, Matthew 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now, if you haven't read the New Testament account here, you need to know a couple of things. Number one, this is Jesus' cousin. Number two, he's already met Jesus. He's been part of some pretty amazing, miraculous things, like the time when Jesus walked up to John, who was baptizing people at the Jordan River. He said, John, I want you to baptize me. John says, I can't baptize you. You're the promised Messiah. I can't do that. No, I want you to baptize me. And when he baptizes Jesus, the text tells us that heaven's opened up and a voice thundered out that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we can assume that John heard it. Why can we assume that? Because you go to John's gospel, chapter one. John's gospel is one of the disciples. John the Baptist, not the same guy. John the Baptist was kind of this forerunner of the Messiah getting people ready for him. John the the, uh, the disciple says, when Jesus begins his, his public ministry, that John the Baptist, the great announcer, said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. In other words, he knew the facts. He heard this miraculous revelation. He was convinced so much of the facts that he announced him to everyone, and yet he doubted. He doubted. So he sent his disciples from that prison where he was being held by Herod and he had the disciples ask Jesus, are you really the guy? Because I'm having doubts. I'm not sure anymore. Maybe he had a little bit to do with being in prison, huh, I don't know. Now, sometimes we think, man, if I had just lived back then, if I could have just seen it and been there, I'd be convinced and all you have to do is keep reading the accounts and find out there are a lot of people back then that saw what you're looking and wanting and they didn't believe. And so here you have intellectual doubts. He's struggling with the facts of who Jesus is, with the revelation that he's received from God, with what he's even told other people about this one. This one whom he said, I've got to decrease and he's got to increase. Yet he doubts. He doubts. So intellectual doubts. Now, there's a third category. This is a little scarier kind of a category. I'm going to call it willful doubts. This is where it's maybe about the feelings, it's maybe about the facts, but there's a point in the process where we choose to doubt and not believe. This is the story of doubting Thomas. He gets his name from the story that we'll read from John 20. Here's the setting. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's presented himself to the disciples on Sunday evening in the upper room. But for some reason, Thomas was out. I don't know, maybe they were out of bread or something. He had to go down and get some food. He's not there. And so we pick up the account. Now Thomas, called Didymus, that means the twin, one of the twelve was not with disciples when Jesus came. that Sunday night, Easter Sunday. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Why did Thomas choose not to believe? Was he afraid? Was he afraid to be hurt again? He just couldn't risk being that hurt again? And resurrecting his hopes in this Jesus who he just saw crucified on the cross? Or, or, or is it, was he just like, you know, Joe Friday on Dragnet? Just the facts. Give me the facts. I don't care what you guys are saying. I want the facts. I want to see the hands. I want to see the, the pierced side. I want to see his feet. I want just the facts. More importantly, why have you chosen not to believe? Because there's a kind of doubting that actually brings us to a decision where we say, I'm choosing not to believe. And I call this the dark side of doubt that brings us to that ultimate place where we say, I'm not going to believe. And it brings us into a pretty dark place that we'll talk about in just a bit. I don't think what happened with Thomas is all that unusual. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning of the story, of the Bible and of humanity, you find out that, you know, this was Adam and Eve's deal. They chose not to believe. Now, to be, be sure, there's this, there's this whole element of deception in, the, in the, the choice that they had. They were deceived by the enemy whose disguise is this serpent who comes and comes up to Adam and Eve and says, look, I know God told you you're not supposed to touch and eat this fruit, but here's the deal. That's good fruit. You eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. And all of a sudden, he got him, Start thinking, hey, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe this God isn't good because he's holding out something good from us. And they started to doubt his goodness. And they doubted his word, that it was a good word. And they doubted the consequences were really going to happen, that they really would die. And they willfully chose to doubt it and not believe it when they took the fruit and they ate it. And as we think about deception and about goodness and good things and doubting it, The brother of Jesus, his half-brother James, says it so perfectly in the first chapter of James, chapter 1. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So, different kinds of doubts. The question is, what do you do? What do you do with the doubts that are nagging you right now? Well, the first thing is, is to realize that when doubts come, it's like the, the word in Chinese, uh, crisis. It's made up of two words, danger and opportunity. There's, there's a sense when you, when you deal with doubts as it relates to Christ and the claims of Christ that you realize, I'm at a crossroads right now. And depending on the path I take, it's going to be a dangerous path. I'm going to call that the dark side of doubt. How's it dangerous? Because your doubts lead you to despair and hopelessness in this deeply rooted cynicism and skepticism that makes you a very dark person to be around, a, a, a very depressing person to be around, because... You don't have any hope. That's the danger of doubts. Now, the opportunity, it's what Lord Tennyson in one of his poems calls the sunny side of doubt. I love that phrase. The sunny side, the upside, the bright side of doubt is that these doubts, like the trials that James talks about, will build up our faith as we engage and persevere in the fight of faith, when my doubts are being wrestled with in honesty before God and with his help, I grow stronger. Keller, in his book, A Reason for God, uh, describes doubts like antibodies. Here's what he says. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies. Well, what do antibodies do? They, they, They fight disease. Spiritually, the disease of unbelief and disobedience. And he goes on. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse overnight if she's failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflections." And so there is this sunny side that recognizes these things can actually be good things as I wrestle with the doubts growing stronger in the process. So let's apply it. There's two kinds of people I think that we want to talk about. One is, let's talk to you here today who said, well, well, I'm a follower of Christ. I, I believe. I've got faith. I've placed my faith in Christ. But I have doubts. So I hope this message gives you this warm welcome to the club. You thought you were the only one? You're afraid to say anything in your small group or to your spouse about some of these things that you've been thinking about? Welcome to the club. There's been a lot of better, smarter people in the same club before you and I ever joined it. And that'll give you a sense of, oh, good, because I thought like maybe I was the only one. No, welcome to the club. When it comes to, Uh, the strong emotions that are tied in those circumstances, here's a good thing to remember. That as much as we're allowing our feelings to question our faith, we've got to bring the same intensity to our feelings and question our feelings. Are they really true? I know they're really strong. But here's the deal. Really strong does not equal really true. And so we got to ask, are the feelings true? How do we figure out if they're true? Where do we go? Where we go? We go right here, the word. We tie it all back to truth to figure out, are these, I know I feel like this, but is this true? Should I feel like this? Stay focused on Christ. Like Peter, cry out for help. And then do what the disciples did at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he ascended. This is an amazing verse. Check this out. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but somewhat. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Surprise. What do you mean some doubted? Who doubted? Well, the, the text here says there was 11 guys up on the mountain with Jesus. Who are the 11 guys? Well, the disciples. And what were they doing? They were worshipping him, even while they were what? Doubting. And then Jesus gives the command, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and so therefore go and make disciples. It's our mission statement. Changing people and devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what our mission statement's about, changing lives to change the world. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've commanded you to do. And when you go, know this, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And here's a good thing to remember. You're a follower of Christ, you've got doubts. Keep worshiping and keep obeying. And as you obey and you worship, guess what happens? Faith grows strong. Faith grows strong. What do you think happened to these guys who were hiding out in fear when Peter gets out in Jerusalem, preaches that first day, and 3,000 people come to trust Jesus Christ as the promised Savior? What do you think happened to them? Oh, man. What do you think happened when... Peter and John come back and says, man, we met this blind beggar on the way into the temple and he wanted money. We didn't have money, but we just said, get up and walk. Guess what? He walked. He's never walked in his life. What do you think happened when the word started coming back? The Samaritans are believing. The Gentiles, that Paul, the guy who's running and chasing and murdering all the followers of Christ, he's become a Christ follower, and he's the guy who's turning the world upside down with these other guys. What do you think happened? Faith grew strong. Doesn't mean they didn't have doubts, but faith grew strong. And what about some of us here today are listening and would say, oh, I'm not there yet. Well, let me answer the question. Can you follow Christ and still have doubts? I hope you see it, yeah. All of Christ's followers since the very beginning have wrestled with doubts. It's as common to the human experience as suffering is. We're gonna have it. You can follow Christ and not have all your questions answered. But here's what I'd like to, to challenge you with. Number one, doubt your doubts. Man, you're spending a lot of energy doubting the claims of Christ. Take the same intensity in honesty, move it over to your own doubts. And just question your own doubts with the same intensity you're questioning the claims of Christ. Doubt your doubts. You got intellectual doubts? Do what John the Baptist did make a beeline to Christ. Go to the Word, figure out who this guy is. You you, you can get so distracted with all these different questions. Let me help you out and just say, focus in on Jesus. Because if he isn't the son of God who didn't die on the cross for your sins and wasn't raised from the dead, then all the other questions don't matter. So focus in there. Make a beeline of the resurrection like Thomas did. I want to see it. And then I think you need to ask yourself an honest question. Am I... Doubting because of these hard circumstances? Am I doubting because of this, this, the facts? I just can't make sense of it? Or am I doubting because, to be honest with you, I just don't want to believe. And if you're there, I think you've got to ask yourself, why? Why don't I want to believe? I think one of the reasons is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that maybe he, he's not going to be good because my life's so hard right now and I've connected my hard things to God anyways and I can't get over that I- I'm afraid to do it afraid that he can't be trusted well I'd ask you as you're seeking through the scriptures that you'd ask God open my eyes to see who you are if Jesus is the perfect revelation of who you are help me understand who you are because you know, there was a, there's a point in my relationship with my wife Lori as we were dating, where I, I, I didn't know everything about her, and when we got married, I didn't know everything about her. But boy, those two and a half years that we spent together, there was this growing confidence in who this woman was. And when I married her, oh my goodness, it was so much more. I definitely married up. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed it was all the women that were laughing, guys. <laughs> And so you've got you to gotta hang out with this. See, one of the, one of the problems is we think Christianity is, a, is about this faith religious system. It's about a relationship that begins with trust. Well, how do you trust them? Well, you've got to get to know them. So before you throw out Christianity, understand that it's a relationship with Christ. Focus in on him. Ask him to show himself to you. Stay in this place. This is a great place to be. Because you know what? It's okay. It's okay if you're not there, signed on with Christ to be his follower. We understand we weren't all in that place either. And this is a safe place for you to have those questions and to wrestle in a context of people who are confident in Christ, but humbly so. We don't have all the answers. But you got to also say, maybe it's not fear. Maybe you, you've got it really figured out and you know the deal. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come in this relationship, then you've got to let me be king, the ruler, the leader of your life. You've got to relinquish control. And actually, there's things in your life that you don't want to give up. I don't know what it is. It's the affair on the side. It's the gambling over here. It's the drinking, the drugs. I, I don't know what it is. But you go, I don't, I don't want to give that up. And I know if I, if I follow Christ, he's going to ask me to die to these things that have become idols in my life. Well, th- that's, that's honest then. But follow it up then. How's it going? Serving these things. How, how's it working for you? I mean, it goes back to the song guy saying, well, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if there's more? What if there's hope you never dreamed of hoping for? What if you jump Just close your eyes. What if the arms that catch you, catch you by surprise? What if he's more than enough? What if it's love, this great catcher of those who struggle in life and with doubt and despair? One of the funny things about kids is they're always jumping in their parents' arms. Our five kids, they were jumping, and it was always so fun, especially when you knew they wanted to jump and you were ready. But then there were those times when they were jumping they shouldn't have been jumping because they were behind us and we don't have eyes in the back of our heads and sometimes they bang into, I mean, there's all kinds of funny jump stories like the time Laurie and I are standing in the pool, we're having this great conversation one of the kids apparently jumped in because next thing we know the lifeguards jumped in and they pull out one of our kids right at our feet. Just jumped in. Why do kids do that? No, really, why do kids do that? And we love it when they do that. Because they what? They trust. Why do they trust? Because they've come to an experience of believing that we're good. And that we're strong enough to catch them. There's this great verse in the Bible, in Romans chapter 15, that I'd leave you with. It was this blessing that Paul prayed to his friends at the church in Rome. And it's a a challenge I'd give to you to consider jumping in the arms of a heavenly father who's good and who's strong. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And here's how it comes as you trust in him. And then here's the result. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of us today, we have absolutely no hope. We're drowning in despair. Joy is so far removed from our experience. There is no peace. There is no calm. And God comes to you today. The God of hope. He says, trust me. I'll give you joy and peace. And a hope that overflows. Let's pray. Merciful, merciful God, heavenly Father, grant faith. You say that your word, it births faith. Birth it here in hearts that have been devastated by the hard things of life. by the choices they've made to head down that dark side. I pray that you give them a desire to jump into your strong, good arms that are big enough for them. And I pray for your follower who's wrestling right now. That as they cry out like the Father in Mark 9, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief that you would strengthen them and us as we continue to worship you, not just in this place, but throughout the week as we live on bended knee before you. And that we would be obedient, changing lives to change your world until you come. In Christ's name we pray, amen.